Torah isn't education, it's transformation. This is Chai Chinuch with Rabbi G. 101.9 Chai FM, Chai Chinuch with Rabbi G. We are back as we do every Monday between 2 to 3 where we discuss education, we discuss Chinuch, we discuss how to make ourselves better people, how to influence ourselves, our families, our communities, our country, the world, but starting from inside out, from ourselves to influencing our surroundings. Today, we have a very special uh, group of people here, a group that are, in a way, the leaders of the leaders of tomorrow, the people who are designing our next generation very clearly, and we are celebrating our metric results, celebrating the kids who can see their success in paper and celebrating the kids that we can see their success, or young adults, I'd say, that we can see their success on hours of work and investment and dedication, etc., and different in many different ways. So, uh, because this is a spe- such a special discussion, I'm actually going to skip the beginning when I speak, and I'm going to go to the more interesting people here in studio. And one by one, good afternoon to Andrew Baker. Afternoon, Thank Rabbi. you so much for being with us. with us. You are the principal at King David Victory Park High School. Correct. Okay. And good afternoon, Joseph Jerezzi. You are the principal at Red Hill. Good afternoon, Schools. Rabbi. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us. And good afternoon to Natalie Altman. You are director of Kodesh and principal of Yeshiva College Girls High School. Good afternoon. Okay. So let's go and just um, introduce you and the schools for a moment to the listeners before we start our discussion. So I'll start with you, Andrew, King David Victory Park, in two sentences. So our matric group specifically from 2022 was a group of 49 students, a smallish group, um, a very specific group with a strong, strong top end, um, about 35% of the candidates getting distinctions, average distinctions, and then a group that uh, worked tremendously hard to get personal bests with uh, 90% of them getting 60% and above, speaks to the depth of uh, of endeavor in the group, really remarkable group. Okay, amazing. Joseph Jerezzi, good afternoon. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, tell us about Red Hill. So Red Hill is, a, is an interesting school. Um, we run a dual curriculum. Um, so we have our international baccalaureate as well as our IEB. So we have students who get the opportunity to either write the IEB or the international exam. And we were very lucky to get outstanding results in both of those exams. Um, in terms of the IEB, um, we had uh, around about 42% of our students who got A averages. And um, a large amount, we had six students who were in the kind of excellent category of the IEB. Um, which, you know, placed us right at the top, which was fantastic. But I suppose our highlight, and maybe we can get to talk about this a little bit later in terms of how we do things at Red Hill, was that our mathematics results, I think, were probably some of the best in the country where we had 80% average and 61% of the cohort got distinctions in mathematics, which is an incredible result for us. Sounds unbelievable. It's going to be impressive. Well, Natalie Altman, Robertson Natalie Altman, two words about Yeshiva College. Um, so proud of our students, um, having come out of COVID and some really important years, um, having been, I won't say last, but online. Um, I guess the, the results, um, were excellent. We got over four distinctions per learner. 
Um, but sometimes that uh, result can be a bit skewed because, of course, they're always um, the top learners. But we got a 77% average across all subjects, which uh, I think was a was a highlight for us. And I think one of the best things was that every pretty much every student got their personal best in their matric exam, showing them that consistent effort. You know, their their, their best was at the end, and um, when it counted amazing, most. Amazing. Amazing. You know, you mentioned something, the first group that's uh, post-COVID, I think something to uh, wonder how that is affecting our matric and where that's coming in. Uh, we will get right to that. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. We are back in just the beginning of a fascinating discussion, sitting here in the room with three of the leading principals here in the community and and wider than a community, I'd say. So I'm here with Joseph Geressi, Principal of Red Hill, Andrew Baker, Principal of the King David Victory Park, and Robertson Natalie Altman, Director of Coalition and Principal of Yeshiva College Girls High School. Right before the break, we mentioned about this is the first matric group that are matriculating properly pr- past COVID that we can say that relatively normal school year they had before their matric. And I'm wondering if we are seeing the COVID effects on the matric. Um, maybe we can even predict what we're going to be seeing in the future um, in different um, kids and grades that were hit by COVID at different stages of life. However, it, this is a good time to remind any of our listeners, if you want to comment, if you want to say, if you want to ask your principal or a different principal that's sitting here any questions, any comments, please send us your question, comments, your thoughts. 34519 is the SMS line. Or Telegram, 061-895-1019. Telegram, 061-895-1019. Or SMS, 34519. Joseph, I'll start with you. Sure. What are you seeing pro- past COVID this year? Are you seeing a different result from the metric, in effect, different way the kids are studying, different results? What are we seeing? Mm. So I, I think it's, uh, you know, what we are seeing is testament to the incredible school's um, that our Jewish community choose to put their kids into from, you know, Red Hill to King David to Yeshiva College, because I think we haven't seen a huge difference in results. Um, and I think that is testament to how quickly our schools put things into place You've in adapted. terms of our online learning. We adapted very, very quickly, and we made sure that our kids academically didn't miss out on much. And I think our results, you know, show that, that academically they were where they needed to be. Obviously, of more concern is their social and emotional well-being, because what we are seeing is we're seeing that kids are, you know, more uh, isolated. Um, they don't always, uh, you know, in a social environment, they're not as, as good and out- outspoken as they might have been before. And I think that was really what, what took place, what hit our kids um, from a COVID perspective, is that it, it, it knocked them from that social and emotional. And, and I think what we learned out of that, not how to do things better academically, but the importance of the support systems, the social and emotional support systems that we're now putting into our schools to support our kids because there's a direct correlation in the research between a child who is happy, who is socially and emotionally um, you know, strong with academic results. The happier a child is at school, the more f- they, they feel in control of their environment and the more that they feel that they're being looked after, the better their results will be. So I think that's taught us all something, and I, I think it's a good thing in terms of, you know, what we need to be doing to to hold our kids in that space. 
Amazing. So based on what you're saying, that's, we can see clearly from uh, the results that the schools have done an amazing job in adopting to the new virtual reality and connecting. I'd ask you, Andrew, maybe you could guide us. Are you seeing, or maybe would you say that in a way COVID was a blessing that gave educators and schools a better understanding of what the world, the kids are involved in, on social media, et cetera? I'm wondering if we found ourselves as teachers and educators more involved, understanding and aware of the digital world because we were forced into that world through COVID. And how would that affect us? I think it was a double-edged sword, quite honestly. The, on the upside, um, it did push us. It gave us the push we all needed. I think we were all dabbling in in the technology that was available, but at a very low level, not not with much impetus behind us. And it, it certainly forced us into a space very quickly where we had to um, survive uh, what was happening and go fully online at one stage during lockdown. But the downside that came with it was um, the fact that the children became through screens and, 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 and Zoom calls and things like that, quite disconnected in many ways from regular school activity. And we see this. We see this. This particular cohort of 2022, um, they missed two critical years of senior high school. You miss your grade 10 and your grade 11 year. Not miss, but severely impacted. Um, it, it takes its toll. And I agree with Joseph. I mean, these students have maintained exceptionally high results. We haven't seen a blip on the radar in terms of their academic output. But behind the scenes, we've had to do a lot of holding, patching, reassuring. And and I go beyond the students as well. Uh, the parents went through two years of hell during 2020 and 2021. Completely. And the parents need the support from the school as well to know that everything is on track, that, that their sons and daughters are are going to perform okay, that all the support measures are still in place. Um, so there was an upside, but there was a, a definite downside to not being in live performance for those two years. So. Okay, amazing. I actually want to catch on to your last sentence, which I think is amazing. And I'd ask um, Robert and Natalie, hearing Andrew speak about the support the parents need going through the two years of, I don't know if we should say hell on radio, but <laughs> stress and, and difficult times, what is the ability of a school to actually support the parents beyond supporting the kids and how can we give them that reassurance that you know the kids will survive and will manage and and we can see in the results that happened but what was the process i think that first of all it's just to understand that parents are more anxious um and so just literally just time hearing them out is is really important I think the second thing is even more communication than ever before because I think there was a la not a lack of communication, but it was a change of communication. So putting in class tutors and people that are literally focused on each grade and especially in matric where there are more parent meetings, um, more time for, you know, matric coordinators to be involved – and then even certain seminars or other things about how parents can deal with metric children or all children in high school under high pressure, I think has been critical um, to to support parents. And, you know, as school, our, our children are, you know, our main clients, but I think our parents have actually become 
even more than they were before over the last few years because we've had to hold them to hold their children. And they did hold their children during COVID. And I think there was, you know, you, you speak about upsides. I definitely feel that there is a respect, a, a, a greater and deeper respect and understanding of teachers because parents had to had to be there. Um, they know what the, the uh, teachers are dealing with. They know what the, te- the teachers are dealing with. But on the other hand, because it was actually quite a trauma, I think they just need more. They need more. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. So I do have an announcement that I need to read. But when we come back, I, I want to continue what you're saying and ask Joseph on your side. So as a principal, how are you holding the teachers while they're holding the parents and holding the kids through all this rough time and, and with the and, and you know, starting this last year of matric, there was some COVID relevance restrictions that, and it kind of shifted in the middle of the year. What do the teachers need and how do you make sure they are there with the kids and making everything happen properly? Uh, just an announcement and then I'd love to hear the, the answer. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. 101.9 G. We are back and right before the break, uh, we've this, I asked Joseph, what is the principal role and what have you been doing to and what can we do to support mm. the teachers and supporting the uh, kids, the parents, the families during the strict times of COVID and into the matric year that we're now celebrating the results, as Natalie mentioned right before the strain that the parents were mm. holding. And I'd love to hear from you as uh, the, the person who was supporting the par- the teachers. How did that come into place? Just a comment, um, any questions, any comments from anybody, and, and I did get some questions, but please, I need to come to the radio. Please send an SMS, 34519 is the SMS line, or 061-895-1019 Telegram. So Telegram, 061-895-1019, or SMS, 34519. And for those who've asked me before, yes, the questions can be anonymous. Just send them in. Nobody will know it was you. Um, so let's continue with... That where, where do the teachers come into play? Rabbi, just before I get onto that, because I think it is an important point to make, because we spoke specifically about matric students, and we're not seeing, you know, a huge difference there. Um, what some parents might be finding out is that in the early learning centres and the and the primary schools, we might be picking up educational issues there. Um, we're seeing that there is a, a much bigger need for occupational therapists, speech therapists, play therapists, because remember, during those times, um, teachers were wearing masks, kids were wearing masks, and much of your learning um, is about watching the person's mouth and the way they mouth the words, etc. And we are finding that in the junior levels that there is a little bit of a drag, which if schools don't work on that now, you might start to see the effects of COVID happening academically much later. So while we do concentrate on matrics, I think it's really important not to remember the children that were hit academically the most were our youngest kids, uh, not the oldest kids, because they already, you know, could do those I, I couldn't agree more, and, and I think it's a very important concept, and, and it's a real challenge because, uh, I mean, I know there's a lot of great therapists out there, but I do know that at our center and, and clinic, all the therapists are fully booked for quite some time yeah. and it's and daily parents are calling me and begging for therapists and it's yeah. very hard for me to provide um so it is a real uh, challenge and thanks you and i think i think the the challenge is to come 
Yep, um, absolutely. Okay, so but going back, back to, to the teachers, teachers yes. um, in terms of all the challenges that came with them. So we did two, uh, we did two things. Um, obviously, we were we were there for our our teachers because many of the teachers, which sometimes parents don't understand because they're obviously very involved in their own lives and their families, and that's totally understandable. But behind the scenes, um, there were teachers who had major traumas of their own through COVID. You know, we had a particular teacher that unfortunately passed away with COVID that had a huge impact on the community, the teaching community at the school. And so there were a lot of emotional issues that were going through. Teachers had had parents that were ill. They themselves were ill. And yet, I mean, I, I think we really have to celebrate these teachers who, through all of that, still got up and still were there for their children and never missed, you know, missed very few days and were very, very heroic, I think, um, in this battle. Often we never spoke about them as frontline workers, but they were really on the front line and working really, really hard. So so besides uh, using our, our wellness team to be available to any of our teachers that needed to see them on our campus, you know, our educational psychologists, our clinical psychologists, they were all made available. We gave them two really important things. One was time. So we ensured that their teaching timetables were not full so that they could spend quite a bit of time at school in terms of, you know, preparing, because a lot of them also, I'm sure, will get onto things like load shedding, um, you know, don't oh have don't have what they need at home. So it's about giving them time in the day to think through new strategies where they had to work through online learning and also that they would be assured of having, you know, the Internet because we're all lucky, I think, to have generators at our schools. So we gave them extra time and not such jam-packed timetables, also because trying to teach kids online is a really difficult job. So we need to give them time. And B, I think the most important thing is professional development. Um, so we have professional development groups, uh, focus groups of teachers that meet once a week. So it's compulsory within your timetable to attend professional learning. And we have a director of professional learning um, who basically puts our teachers through an entire year's course. And they go through these courses every single year where they are learning about the new things. Many of our teachers, the last time they were at university, you know, might have been as far back as 20, 30 years ago. Um, and with everything that's happening, unless you protect your teachers and you have continuous development, those teachers are not going to fall, you know, not, not, not going to fall away and not, and, and be involved in technology because they don't want to, but there's a real fear of not getting it right. So it's a very important thing to be able to support your teachers through what you do at school in terms of your professional learning. And being up to date is amazing. It's really, really needed. Andrew, you've made a decision in your school to not publish the metric results. Why? So it's not a new one. Um, a few years ago, we were approached by the metric group to say, they really didn't want the itemized billing type approach to metric results where a whole list of names and how many distinctions they they achieved was published. And so we do publish very proudly the achievements of our children, but in quite a different way. Um, we try to recognize the achievements of the entire group. Um, Natalie and Joseph and I were talking just before coming into the studio and saying we make as schools, as independent schools, such a lot of fuss at the top end, and rightly so. They've done incredibly well. But what about just focusing on those children a little lower down in the, in the rankings and the gradings, but have done remarkably well against all odds, against personal circumstance, Many of them, we were saying there's a story behind every achievement, and there certainly is. As soon as you start to pull back the layers, 
for many of these children, we have a large percentage. We're a community school. We don't have an entrance exam. We have children feeding into our high school directly from the big remedial schools in Johannesburg and um, ending up with unbelievable results. And so we, we took a stand to, to publish our results slightly differently without the shopping list of, of distinctions, but still recognizing the group achievement um, of, 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 of the entire group. And, and the, the kids that were getting the high-level distinctions, were they understanding of that decision? They were. In fact, they originally, and it's, it's been echoed by the, the subsequent cohorts, they were the ones pushing the most for it, which, were, which was, was interesting. They felt really very much that they didn't want spotlight to fall solely on their achievements, and they felt very strongly that um, we needed to take cognizance of the child who got a C aggregate, and, and really for that child it was an unbelievable achievement, and we must be proud and celebrate that as much as the child with 10 distinctions and so the push came from 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 the high achievers from them yeah okay um natalie what what did you tell students that did work hard and you know we're going on from hearing and saying you know it's like a shopping list of everything and at the same time there are kids that worked extremely hard and got there in their high 70s consistently and still didn't get distinctions what do you tell them um i think it's it's not about what you tell them in matric. I think it's a culture that's built through a school about what achievement means. Because in the same way as the, the world tells us certain things are important, certainly as a Jewish school and as a religious school, um, we're trying to build a culture where um, effort is important, personal best is important, um, stretching oneself is important. Not comparing yourself to others is important. And therefore, it's not, you know, one, one can't start suddenly doing it um, in matric because the comparison is obvious. I mean, just a few years ago, everyone was looking at everybody else's matric results in the newspaper. So it wasn't only, even only your school, but you could, you know, you right. could see everywhere. And I think the world, the, the world, South Africa, you know, is starting to realize um, that actually it's not so important to compare, but but your best is um, is what's important, and also that academics. And I mean, we've seen it all over. Um, you know, when when people who are dyslexic and people who did not do well in school are still extremely successful in life. You know, the J.K. Rowling example has been brought so often. Somebody who failed many times, or a single mother, very poor. You know, we 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 need to tell these stories more and more to our children, so that they realise that at a point, at a certain juncture in their life, yes, there is metric, and our system is as such where this is celebrated for now. But this isn't everything. And to really give that the sense, that them that sense their whole lives, because the truth is, is that even in grade three, you know, there'll be a test that they don't do nearly as well in, or there'll be a kid who runs faster than them, or there'll be a family that's richer than them. And to really give them the sense that, uh, I was just listening to Kathy's advert where it says, tell us your personal story, because you were put on this earth um, to do something, <laughs> and to really give Every kid that sense, you are here to do you and you might not be meant, you know, meant to be, you know, the academic that got 10 distinctions who may be in a scientific lab finding a COVID cure, 
that look at you. You are a person who's going to be a psychologist who will really help people um, survive their lives. And who says one's better than the other? But, but Rab, if I can come in there um, and, and call a vote to Andrew and his team at Victory Park, because I think they were brave enough to do something that many other schools would not do because of pressure from parents. And I, I just want to touch on the, the whole issue of, of parent pressure. And if you really do look at it, we, we took a decision, and I want to agree with Natalie, that it's not something you can just do in matric. This is something you've got to actually it's decide. Yeah, but you, you've got to decide what the culture of your school is about and not, and not sway from that culture. So three or four years ago, um, we, we took the decision that we were not going to have testing, homework, or prize givings all the way up until, you know, grade eight. So in those particular years, we were just not going to do that. And it wasn't the kids that were upset about it. It was the parents. Because at the end of the day, it's the expectation. The parents often want to have that distinction. And what they don't understand is that they put an enormous amount of pressure onto children to succeed in a particular way and never try anything different or anything new. So are parents giving their children a, a message that they failed if they don't have distinctions? Oh, well, absolutely, because there's that impression all the time that they have to achieve a particular result and they have to be the top of the class most of the time. I'm not talking about all parents, but there's just this kind of, uh, you know, there's this drive to be better than anyone else and to get to the top. And in reality, our kids actually are not built that way. All kids are open to learning. All kids enjoy learning. Kids are born to do that. Put put a couple of kids in a in a, in a garden, and they're digging in the mud, and they're looking at the wor- at worms. They're doing those type of things. We sometimes, as educators, with the pressure of parents and the authorities, start to have these driving exams where you've got to get a result, and the child has to take the result home to mom and dad and say, I've got an A or I've got an B or I've got a D, and then they have to suffer what takes place after that. And so this pressure all the way through the schooling system to produce what the system actually requires is very, very dangerous. And I think as communities, specifically as a, as a, as a Jewish community that is getting smaller and smaller, instead of competing more and more with each other, we should learn to collaborate with each other, to help one another, to, to celebrate the success of all of our kids at all of our schools, no matter where they go, because I think that's what, when a community becomes really, really strong. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important point. I, I think that's a huge message. And Emily, you were going to say something? I think... And then I'll comment because I... Okay. You know, it's, uh, w- w- what's difficult, I mean, Joseph spoke about the parental pressure, the systemic pressure, is that we also can't completely sway the other way where kids that really do work hard, you know, get recognition. But I think the, the point is to make it an aspect, number one. Like... I got a distinction, but I also did something else. And, and I think that's one important point. Um, I'm part of this face group, Facebook group called The Village. And I saw a, a recent post. It's, it's about um, adolescent children and parents posting all sorts of, you know, queries about how other people can support. And um, it happened a few years ago um, to, to one of my friend's kids, but I saw it on The Village again now, which reminded me that a child actually didn't even want to tell their parents the results. Mm. And so it's not only about putting it in the newspaper, but sometimes the, the fear is, is the parent. And I mean, I think all of us to an extent, but sometimes it's a huge overinvestment where it's not even about the pressure for pressure's sake to put on the children to get a result. But parents are overinvested 
for their own ego in who their children are. And therefore, it really, and Joseph said it well, it's about them getting the distinction. Because if my child doesn't get the distinction, what does that say about me? And I think that's a very important education tool that so we then what need are we to doing give. about that what are we doing to address that issue with parents in groups speaking to parents about it raising awareness okay. oh, is the school have a does the school have a role in that place yeah I, th- I think it's about educating our parents at the same time as we are educating um, our children we, we must remember that our parents come from a system so so <laughs> there isn't another um, profession right where every parent has gone through you know 15 years of that profession They've all gone through mm-hmm. it themselves And they were under the same kind of pressure To a certain extent They understood the system as it was And now we start to change those things If we don't take our parents with us If we don't educate our parents um, along the way They are obviously going There's going to be a conflict And so where schools have now had to, ste- to have to step up Where they didn't before Is that whenever you are going to bring in something new Or you're going to be changing things You need to be talking to your parents And you need to get them on board as well Okay, so I had a whole bunch of things I wanted to comment, but I can't resist one of the SMSs coming in, okay, because I'm going to read it to you. Hi, Robert, thank you for your great show, and guest, as as a parent, I feel when I compare my children to other friends, they do work harder, but when I focus on their personal best, they tend to do much less than they can achieve because they are accepted for whoever they do, for whatever they do. So you asked me to, to respond to right. that. I don't even know what I'm asking you to respond and <laughs> respond to complain. Look, Any I, of I you. think it's what it's what Natalie had said. You know, every kid there is there is a you know every kid is going to also want to be able to push in a particular direction, and of course they're going to compare themselves. There's no doubt about that. I, I don't think we're saying that there shouldn't be any kind of comparison. All groups, it's natural to compete and to compare with one another. But they will do that naturally themselves. We don't have to add the added pressure onto, onto what is already a pressurized situation. And I think, again, it depends on what you're doing in your earlier years. If you're cutting out, for instance, things like prize givings and, and those type of things where you're comparing one child against another child all the time, you do build up a, a sense and an expectation of who is the best in the class and who got the maths prize and who got the geography prize. I really do have to believe that the majority of our kids want to do well without those kind of pressures. And we also have to decide in our community is the anxiety and the depression and the stress that follows worth our children working to such an extent that they will end up getting A's and B's. There is another side to this, and I think we've got to be careful about that. Which is which is to do with the bigger picture as well, which I have to comment. Yes, Natalie? I also think if we give our, if our, if we give our kids a sense of if everyone does well, it uplifts all of us. That actually is a very powerful message, especially because we, we run community schools. So if this one finds a brilliant extra maths teacher, I think often we feel, well, we better not tell anyone because I need to get ahead and I need to get in. But actually, if we all do well in maths, then our community will be uplifted because we'll have better doctors and better scientists and better whatever. And actually, we can, we can do it all better. And that's why I do like the concept of publishing general results because even though of course it's not true that every child got four distinctions even though that was the aggregate as a group this was what was managed and that if 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 we can give a sense and I think even more so to the parents and the kids that by sharing notes sharing summaries sharing extra lesson teachers sharing 
wisdom and knowledge and kids helping other kids, we all get better. That's actually also a very important like culture to foster. So after this announcement, I want to challenge that. I'm going to ask Andrew because they're the ones who are doing it, how it works practically in our world, considering that we live in a world of pictures of social media, posting the exact pose, posting the perfect holiday, posting the perfect journey, posting the perfect. And we are so geared up today to do that perfect journey. How does that beautiful concept that you're talking about come into practice life? Just the announcement, and we'll get right back. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. 101.9, we are here in the middle of a beautiful, fascinating discussion with uh, three of the educating leaders here in the community, in Jewish community in South Africa, here with principals of um, King David Victory Park, Andrew Baker, and with Joseph Jerezzi from Red Hill, and Natalie Altman from Yeshiva College. And right before the break, I asked Andrew about uh, what was said here, that, you know, there's a beautiful journey of... of sharing the idea that when we grow as a community, not as an individual, and if our school can get high distinctions, which is what you're showing, the uh, uh, the win of the school, then it elevates everybody. And I was wondering how that fits in with our real lifetime today, that we live in a society that we have to post our perfect picture at a perfect moment, uh, with a perfect holiday, with a perfect lifestyle, and we're presenting to the world this unbelievable picture that's, we call it reality, but it's not. And is there really room and openness for this concept and, and journey that you're taking? So, Rabbi, I think that all the children can have that perfect journey. That perfect journey doesn't have to look the same for every student. Sometimes we, we're quite big on finding alternate pathways for children to achieve success by matric. Um, as they as they arrive in grade eight, they all have different needs, and sometimes we just need to tweak a pathway a little bit for a child to still get that perfect journey to that wonderful matric that that they will get uh, in five years' time. Sometimes it means looking at the journey slightly differently. We've had a number of students choose to do the matric over two years instead of one. And and that has paid huge dividends to those students. Just by having a little less volume over two years, they've excelled in every subject that they've done, whereas if they'd had a crammed seven or eight or nine subject curriculum, they wouldn't have done justice to the subjects the way that they did. So at the time, it might have felt like quite a big compromise to have to make, spend an extra year at school. But what they achieved just paid enormous dividends, as I said. Yeah. I also wanted to pick up what we said a little bit earlier about bringing the parents along in the journey with you. Because it really is often just tweaking and changing parental mindset as well. So one of the examples is that we, in our grade 8 and 9 curriculum, over the last two years have made enormous changes to our assessment policy. We've, we've decluttered assessment. We've, we've taken away a lot of formal pen and paper classroom based assessment and looked at alternate assessment in grade eight and nine. And it's been very important to take our parents along that journey with us to say, we haven't lost the plot, just the fact that there isn't maybe a weekly maths test. We're doing things a little bit differently. This is the value. This is the benefit. This is what it's going to mean for your child. I find by communicating with the parents we spoke about um, 
communicating more. Um, we've really taken them on the journey with us and got them to understand the reasons why we're making these decisions. Which is proven to be to work, which is amazing. For the next question, I, I want to reiterate. I'll stay with the parents because you brought them up again, and, and I'm going to stay with the parents and ask Joseph a question about something you said. Uh, but this question, I'd actually love to hear from listeners. So, if you have an answer to what I'm about to ask, three four five one nine is SMS line or Telegram oh six one eight nine five one zero one nine. Joseph, you spoke about the concept that schooling is the only profession that all parents have actually gone through it and they have an opinion and they want their kids to be successful, etc. What I'm maybe a bit surprised by that is that my assumption is, and probably also pretty close to reality, that the same amount of kids that are doing well today did it well in the past. And just like today, we have a percentage of kids that are really um, managing beautifully and getting distinctions. We had kids that are challenged and kids that were struggling or kids that got distinctions but it was very hard work and it wasn't so easy shouldn't we be seeing more compassion from the parent side if you were struggling as a child and are you actually having the right empathy towards your child today or no even if you had a hard time in school i many times we could hear parents say well i just managed then you need to just manage and i said but you didn't sleep half your school years from panic over exams. Mm. And, and Matric, why are we not seeing that pass on to the next generation? Because I think that what we're seeing, let's talk specifically in South Africa and maybe within the Jewish community, um, you know, if, if, if you go back 20 years ago, um, a couple of C's and a few D's would have got you into university, um, and you probably would have got into the course that you wanted to get into. So in reality, the pressure that was on us when we were younger or when the parents were younger was not the same type of pressure that students are in are under today. Today, in order to get into the top courses, um, you know, at at both uh, local and international universities, it is far, far, far more difficult. Um, and that that is a realization of, of 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 the democracy of our country. So again, 20 years ago, there was a very small cohort of kids that would be able to get into the top positions. And once again, you didn't have to be a rocket scientist to get into those subjects. Today, unless you're in the top, 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 the 99th percentile, you're going to find it very difficult to get into medicine, engineering, and into some of the top, top professions. And so what parents are realizing is that although it was easier for them and they didn't have to work as hard, it's not the same for their children. And they all aspire for their children to get into really good degrees and to make a success out of themselves. But just having that want doesn't mean that your child is going to necessarily do that. Parents have to, especially by the time they get to grade 10, you, you have to be realistic about where your child is. At the end of the day, if your child doesn't get seven distinctions, I don't need to tell parents out there, they still have a beautiful child and a child that can find a different route and another route. And that's where, for instance, at our school, we have a career counselor, a full-time career counselor, and we invite our parents to come in and start the discussion in grade 10 about, okay, let's talk tachlis here. Let's, let's really see where your child is. And maybe we have to look at other pathways. So your child really loves design. Maybe we, we'd be looking at a design school and which is the best design school to get into and not necessarily every single Jewish kid needs to be a doctor or, you know, uh, a lawyer, etc. It comes, and then once you and the parents start to understand that and you understand how many other opportunities there are, parents can start to say, okay, I get where my kid is. Let's look at a different route, and we take the pressure off that way. Okay. So, you know, we, we're completely running out of time, and just 
one more question that I'll ask and then we need to go forward and towards the end of the of the show. I'm wondering, considering what you just said, that it is really difficult to get today into universities and it is, you have to give much more. Is it not making our kids give up more? Or when a child is not getting the distinctions, is it not more traumatizing for him or putting the kids in a place of just giving up? So... I don't believe that's happening if you go through the right discussions. If, you know, you're moving out of grade nine and you're starting to look at subject choices and you're having the real good discussions, often you take the pressure off because a kid will actually be thankful to you if the school can identify where the problems are and in what direction a child should be moving. And together, this is a team effort. It is, it is the educators, it's the parents. It's having those discussions. Uh, and once you actually start to say to a kid, what is it you're really wanting to do? Where are your interests? Where, what is your aptitude? And we can understand where that is. You take a tremendous amount of pressure off that particular kid because then they decide, okay, I'm going in this direction. I have the support of my parents. I have the support of my school. And all of a sudden, realistically, I mean, when I'm at school, I try and dissuade parents from having their kids doing 8, 9, 10, and 11 subjects. And I know we all get very excited when we get the one student who gets 15. So so what? Uh, what are you going to do with those 15 distinctions? You only need seven subjects to get into the top course. All of those extra subjects don't get you into a better course at university. Why the extra pressure? Why do we push for that? It's time for conversations between educators and community, and specifically within our Jewish community, which I emphasize is getting smaller. We need to take care of our children even more today. We need to build this beautiful community that we have, but we've got to do it in a way that, that allows all of our kids to be confident, and this we've got to do as, as, as parents as, and teachers together. As an open discussion. Okay, so uh, I think we need to move forward and kind of see the coming up uh, metric, what is the message to them? And I'd love to hear from each of you. We just have an announcement first, and then we will see what are we actually telling the kids that are starting metric now, and what is the message, and what do we want them to hear and learn and achieve? Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. 101.9 FM, We are back, and we actually reached the end of the hour. I wish we had more time. Uh, there's so much more to discuss and to talk about. However, we did speak quite a bit about the metrics, about, uh, you know, leading us up to this point of matriculating. What is the message that each of you will, and we'll go around, has to the kids that are starting their matric year that are going to be matriculating in next year? What is the message? What do we want them to know? What do we want them to hear? How do we want to encourage them? What is the, the idea behind, um, you know, any shifting and, you know, discussions of what we want to achieve, what would you say to them? I'll start with you, Andrew. So I'm fortunate in that in our seven-day academic cycle, I've, I have a weekly slot with my matrix, which is just an open discussion between myself and the matrix. They can raise anything with me. And at our session last week, I said to them, guys, the matric year is a relentless one. It comes at you for the entire duration of the matric year. There's no period where it slacks off a little bit. Start working from day one. Don't wait to ease into your matric year, which you often hear the youth speaking about. I'm easing my way in. You can't ease your way into matric. You have to hit the ground running and start working hard from day one. Um, I give them the reassurance that the academic rigor is no worse than the grade 11 year. It's just a much shorter year and a much more intense year where the pace is a lot quicker. 
Um, we were also speaking just before coming into studio how each cohort is so totally unique, one one different to the next. And the particular cohort that we're working with at Victory Park this year, as I said, I said to them from day one, start working, start hitting the ground running. Um, and, yeah, that, that that's really my, A my very message, clear to, message them. to them. Yeah. Joseph. Mm. So for me, um, the, the, the thing that I would really emphasize, I think I'm talking to parents here mainly, is don't get your kid to give up the stuff that they enjoy doing. It really, really is important that even if you're going to pick one thing that you love doing, that's the first thing that you should put into the timetable because all students come home in matric and they've got their study program and it's full with all their different lessons. That they'll throw away within two weeks if there aren't things in that study timetable that they enjoy doing, whether it's going to gym. Don't give up the one sport. It doesn't mean you've got to play eight sports in that, in that year, but don't give up the one sport. If you sing or play a musical instrument, keep that going. It is really, really incredibly healthy for any child to have something just to have that break from the continual stress of the studying. And I would say that every parent, if it was me, I'd say to their kid, okay, Jonathan, what's the one thing you're going to really keep that you really love doing that has nothing to do with your academics? Remember reality and real life. Yeah. Amazing. Natalie. So I'd like to pick up um, on something that Joseph said. We live in a reality of South Africa, difficult to get into degrees, um, and I'd like to give the message of creativity. If you need to do matric over two years, great. If you need to get into one university in order to do a year there and then get into another university, that's also okay. If you can't get into a degree, become an entrepreneur. Th do what, what you're passionate about. And just, I think, um, life is so not a straight line anymore that to give our kids the message that there are many, many paths to get to the same place. And sometimes there are reroutes and redirects, and that's okay. And sometimes what you thought was plan A or what you thought was plan B can actually be plan A and the best thing for you. And I shouldn't put you here for this reason with, the, with these difficulties. Amazing. So keep the goal in mind. Don't panic on the journey and go around and, and get there. Fascinating discussion. I cannot thank you enough. Thank you, Craig, for putting this together. Thank you for running the show. And just thank you for the principal. I know it's very busy days, and for you to come here to the show means a lot. So really, really appreciate it. Unfortunately, we did not go through everything, but I think what we did benefit is a very clear message. And what I'm going to take forward from this is really how we bring parents and schools together in, in, in open discussion and see what we can do as a community. It came up actually in a few interviews already. So thank you, as I said. Thank you for the listeners. Thank you for being with us. We will be back next Monday, 2 to 3, like we do everywhere, every week. In the meantime, continue the journey. Continue improving yourself, your families, your community. Stay safe, and we will be back next Monday.